Okay. If you would please turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I'll be reading Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 3. Remember that jailer cried out to Paul Silas. What must I do to be saved? Simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Oh, how crucial to ask the question. What does that mean? What is that believe? Our text answers it this morning. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Blessed is the reading and the pondering of God's holy, infallible word through his servant, the writer to the Hebrews. Father, help me teach. Help me teach well. Give us alert minds to follow, to track. Because at the end of that rainbow is great treasure and joy. So do this, Lord. Do it by that wonderful working of your Holy Spirit in all of us. To the glory of your name. Amen. Subject is clear. The definition of faith here. And that, that word faith, which all the world uses in their own languages, and in English, that word faith, it's one of the most used words in religion. For instance, what is your faith? Okay, there, the word faith means what's your religious persuasion? Or you can say, he is a man of faith. What's that mean? It means he is a religious man. Or hold to the faith that was once and for all delivered. It means there to the doctrine, the teachings of that particular religion. Hold to it. But in none of those definitions... Does it have anything to do with how a person lives their life? The definition of faith that is given here in our text, remember, it doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, this has been the essence of this whole letter up to this point. He's made it clear. Faith is much more than a mental assent agreement with some doctrinal truths or confessions of faith. Faith 
lives. It's an inner dynamic of the human being's soul toward God, toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw an illustration of this faith last week in chapter 10, verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because you knew, there's the faith, that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So at the core, faith is, it, it, it has this deep confidence in what God has said, particularly in the gospel, in what Jesus has guaranteed through his death and his resurrection. In other words, all of those wonderful promises. And his whole point last week is, if this life is a brief preparation for life everlasting, eternal joy, that's the way he said it, a better possession and an abiding one. If that's true, then you're free. You're free to risk your life, to risk your money and your stuff in this world. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, here's the comparison, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is what the writer's been saying throughout the book. And so now we arrive at that great chapter. He brings us to chapter 11. We call it the Hall of Fame. Actually, we supplant the second word, right? It's the Hall of Faith. So he brings us here now to Hebrews 11 in order to give us example after example after example of real sinful people who laid hold of the future promises of joy in God in such a way that it made a huge difference in how they lived, and how they acted, and how they loved, and how they died. So, he begins chapter 11 with a simple yet profound definition of faith. Right there in verse 1. Verse 1 defines faith with two aspects of it. Let me read it from the ESV, which most of you have. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, it seems simple, what he's just said, until you actually look at it in the original, in the Greek text, and in, and I will show you, in English translations. What I mean is this, the difficulty 
is in understanding the words that the ESV translated as assurance and conviction. The New American Standard Bible translates it just like the ESV, or really vice versa. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The NIV translates it more loosely like this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. And certain, being certain of what we do not see. Now, the King James Version and the New King James, they translate it like this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, if you're, if you're paying attention closely, you should notice that the ESV, the New American Standard, and the NIV translate these two words in a subjective sense, where the King James and the New King James translate them in an objective sense. Now, the subjective sense means, in this sense, faith is describing something about the person who has faith. In other words, subjectively, faith means uh, this person, you, being your confidence. You, you are assured of, of what you hope for. You have a, a conviction. You are convinced of what you don't see. It's subjective. Like, here's an example. I like chocolate chip ice cream. I think chocolate chip ice cream is good to me, and that statement is true. But what's it a statement about? It's not a statement about the object, really of chocolate chip ice cream. It's a statement about the subject, me. It's a statement about what I think about the taste of chocolate chip ice cream. The next guy could come in, sit from the same carton, take a bite and say, yuck, I don't like. I think chocolate chip ice cream is nasty. And that's true for him because it's a statement about the subject. Now, on the other hand, the objective sense, when we talk about objective truth as opposed to subjective truth, it means regardless of whether a human being acknowledges the truth of something, likes it or not, it doesn't matter. That thing is either, it is true, and it, it's good or it's beautiful. People like to argue over, is there such a thing objectively as that? I think there is. So, for instance, 
On the campus of the University of Notre Dame, there is a golden dome. That statement I just made was an objective declaration. It's either true or it's false, regardless of what another person may think about it. So, in this text, the objective sense would mean something like this. That the faith itself within the Christian is the substance, which, which is in line with the very nature of the promises of the gospel. In other words, that faith, say, the second part, it is the very evidence of the reality of the things that you don't see. That's what it would mean. I think that second one, the objective, is the way the writer means it. Now, so let me slowly show you why. If you're there in verse 1, let's look at the first half of the definition of faith first. Now, faith is, in the ESV, the assurance of things hoped for. So, here's the question. Is, is the writer saying that faith is the subjective, positive thinking experience where we can, we can just take our wildest dreams, that would be great, and then plug them into a process called faith? So that the, the, the experience coming from that is, is, well, I have an assurance. I feel assured. I have a confidence that, that, that my dreams will come true. That is how many, many, many people use or understand the word faith. It's how many within the church do. There's a whole branch within the church world called Word of Faith that teaches that that's exactly what it is. Faith is really this, this power thing that you got to plug into. And, the, and it's very connected to experientially, sense, get yourself to a place where you think positively. For instance, if you are sick or have cancer, don't confess that you have that. That'll train you to think that you don't. You want you got to get your mind to positive thinking. And it's dangerous because some of we at home group this week, Teresa and I have known a woman for 30 years who's caught up in that. We love her and think she really loves the Lord, but that doctrine's been so embedded in her that turning 80 this last year, she had a stroke. And we just found out she quit leading her Zoom prayer meeting with women because she felt disqualified. Because it's her fault. She lacked enough faith. Why else would she have a stroke? The word in the text, assurance, there in ESV. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word in the Greek is the word hypostasis. 
which it normally means something like this, nature or substance or reality or essence. And that's why the King James and the New King James translates it. Now, faith is the substance, stuff of things hoped for. Now, Bauer, Art, and Gingrich, the main standard Greek lexicon dictionary of the New Testament and other early Christian literature, renders this word like this, quote, In faith, things hoped for become realized. They are the reality. Faith, in other words, is the reality of the things that are hoped for. This, this word, hypostasis, is the same exact word that the writer used in chapter 1, verse 3. Referring to Jesus, he said, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's, and here's the word, hypostasis, of God's nature, reality, stuff of Him. Substance is nature. Faith is the reality of what we hope for. Or as the King James puts it, faith is the substance. And this would mean that faith, what is that thing? It, faith is that thing that, that so grabs hold of what it hears in the gospel. And all those promises of the resurrection in the future to come, that that faith itself grabs hold of that very goodness of that message, the very sweetness of it, the very essence of those promises. They, the taste of them, the reality of them, are present. In that faith. To say it this way. Tasting is the reality of the object, of the sweetness of the orange. Because the orange is sweet, yes, there's a subject who tastes it. But what the taste is is the stuff of the orange. Just as faith is the reality of the truth of the promises. Faith itself, biblically, is so clear. It is the miraculous implanting into the soul of a person. And that implanting in the soul of the sinner through new birth, it is the very taste, reality of the future promises. 
And therefore, faith is not positive thinking. It doesn't create what we hope for. Faith is the spiritual apprehending, the spiritual perceiving, seeing, tasting the very goodness of the orange itself. The very goodness that is actually there in what God has promised through Christ. I think this is what Paul meant in Ephesians 1 when he said that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our future inheritance. In other words, the Holy Spirit birthed faith in all who believe. He did that. And that Holy Spirit birthed faith is the reality to come that is tasted in part as a down payment now. But then face to face, then fully And so he's saying, Hebrew Christians, Sovereign Grace Fellowship, how, how do you know that all those truths that you read in the Scripture and, and, and you believe, how do you know they're going to sustain you in the dark days that lay ahead that you may not know are ahead? The answer is faith. Faith comes to you as a gift of God's grace. It assures you, regardless of the circumstances, that all of the promises of God in Jesus Christ are real. The reality, they are the amen. And you know. Let's look at the second half of the definition of faith. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Now that word conviction, which is translated as, or with the word evidence in the King James and New King James, that word's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's the word alegkos, but in other uses in the first century Greek writings, this word normally is used for what we understand to be, or translate this way, proof or evidence. In other words, something not subjective, but something objective. Here is the proof. As opposed to the subjective, I feel this is true. Now, one commentator on Hebrews 11 Donald Hagner <clears throat> says it this way, quote, From the examples of faith lifted up in this chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, it seems clear that what is not 
primarily in view is what we feel or possess. That is assurance or confidence. No, but rather how faith substantiates or gives substance to what is promised. How faith, in other words, provides evidence of what is believed about unseen and hoped-for realities. He concludes with, Faith indeed has a way of making the future present and the unseen visible. End quote. Now, of course, when it comes to faith, the faith of a Christian believer, there's overlap between the objective reality of that faith and the subjective experience of it. Has to be, right? So, objectively, look, our faith, like he's saying here, it proves to us. It gives evidence of what we can't see. And if that's true, then subjectively, of course it gives you conviction, persuasion that these things that you cannot see are true. Now, besides the use of the words, and particularly this word evidence, the reason I think the writer means that faith is the evidence, it is the proof of the things that you don't see, is the illustration that he gives in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's go slowly again through it then. Notice, verse 1 says, Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Verse 3 says, Faith understands that the universe, that is, it understands that those things that are seen, it, faith understands they were created by what is not seen. God and God's Word. So verse 3 is a practical illustration of verse 1. Think about what he's saying. How, how do we know that God created the world out of nothing that is seen, meaning that's physical, you can see with the physical eye. How do you know? You weren't there. The readers weren't there. The writer wasn't there. And even if we were there, we still would not have seen it because God is invisible in that way. 
And his word is unseen. You can't see it. So how can we know, or really the word here, understand, like the, the, the word the author used, how can we understand that the universe or the worlds were created by the non-material, non-physical, eternal word of God? How, how can we know that and grasp it? How can we know that what is seen was not made out of things that are seen or visible? Verse 3 gives the clear answer to that question, how you know. By faith. By faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, faith as evidence, faith, in other words, as the proof, I think it starts to make sense. I hope. If faith is the evidence of the things that you cannot see, then it makes sense to say, by faith, by, in other words, evidence, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. The unfolding of this profound truth is about the miracle of what faith is. And that faith, which is miraculous by the Creator Himself, by the Spirit, that faith He implants is the very evidence of the things not seen. Crucial aspect of what biblical saving faith is, is an enlightenment to true knowledge. So, in what sense is faith and the evidence that God created the world by His Word? In what sense does He mean this? Well, let's, let's go where Paul was clear, Romans 1 for a second. In verse 20, and put it together with verse 3 of our passage. Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible, can't see Him, His attributes, that is, in other words, His eternal power, His divine nature, they have been clearly seen. How? By being understood through what has been made. That word understood in the Greek in Romans 1 is the exact same word for understood to understand in Hebrews 11.3. In Romans 1, it says, we understand the invisible attributes of God by what God created to see. And Hebrews 
chapter 11, verse 3 says, we understand the invisible Word of God. We understand that that Word created all that is seen. How do we understand it? By faith. He says, we grasp that in 11, verse 3, by faith. Romans 1 says the Evidence that God made the world is the things that are made. They clearly point to a maker. Hebrews 11.3 says that the evidence that God made the world is faith. Well, how do those two go together? An essential part of what faith is. This saving faith, the way he's using it here, an essential part of what that faith is, is a spiritual seeing, perceiving, tasting of the one true God. And thus that faith, it sees what is actually objectively there. It can start this way. It can see the trees, and it can see a forest, and it can see a canyon, and it can see the stars and the Milky Way. And it sees a designer of these things. The evidence of a maker in Romans 1 is the things made. Simple. If you're stranded on a deserted island and you run across a watch, you can deduce two things. Someone was there before you and someone made a watch. It didn't make itself. Hebrews 11 says the scene itself of that reality. It is a kind of evidence of the truth of it. And that's not unusual. This is how evidence works in legal systems in the real world. Objectively, we have a dead body, three bullet holes to the head. And then we have a subject. A human being who saw that man sitting right there behind that table as that person is a witness in the dock. I saw him shoot the deceased three times in the head. Well, that's your experience. Yeah. And you know what we call that scene? Evidence that will. Put that guy to death. Evidence. So, how do I know there is a golden dome on the campus of the University of Notre Dame? Because I've been there a couple times, and I've stood outside it, and I walked around it, and I enjoyed it. And I went inside that administration building, and I looked up at the dome, and, and even went, whoo, and you could hear the echoes. My scene is in a very real sense evidence. 
My seeing is evidence that brings to me, yes, the conviction that it's there. Someone else may doubt it, but I know it. By this I understand the dome exists. And therefore, what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 means by faith, it's not merely a subjective belief, whether what is believed is actually true or not true. No, biblical faith is connected to actual realities. Starting with the reality of the one true being, God, who sent His Son to put away sin. And that's a statement that's either true or false, to put away sin for all who believe. And because of that, He will be utterly faithful to all that He has promised to the believer. The miracle of faith in the essence of what that is. It's saying by God's hand this gospel, these promises, the future is real. It is the essence of reality. Now, that's why we know the world is really here. And we know it seems logical to point to an intelligent designer. I mean, just, just in the basic deduction of logic. You mean, it didn't make any sense any other way. And yet, there are many who won't admit that. They don't see that. And we know from Romans 1, the very evidence, that is, the very existence of creation is enough to justly condemn every soul for not acknowledging and bowing to the Creator, the Maker. But we also know that those who see the Creator through the creation and see the merciful God in the promises of the Gospel, they have the evidence of that in themselves. They see. And that's the evidence. Our text. Faith is the evidence. Let me give an illustration. It was almost 30 years ago I was at a pool party and someone cracked open a book called The Magic Eye. And they started saying, there are 3D images on every one of these pages that just jump off the page in three-dimensional. 
Let me see that. I don't see it. Every page, different colors. It just looked like crazy art. No, no discernible anything. And said, no, 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 you're not looking right. Okay, how do I look? Well, put it up to your face and slowly draw it away. And, and so I would do that. And I don't see it. You're pulling my leg. And it went on for over an hour for me. Until finally, somehow, my eyes got in the right kind of a groove of relaxation. And I saw the elephant, and I saw the man on a horse, and I saw the stars pop off page after page. I saw my seeing there in a very significant way was evidence that what they're saying is true. That's what happened to me in 1981 when I was 19 years old. I wasn't looking at the magic eye book. I was looking at this book for the first time reading over a period of a couple weeks. And I saw. And some of you know the story. I went in very innocently to the kitchen. Remember where my mom was. And I asked, why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? Well, she, she did. Like at the pool party, she's telling me, no, there, there are 3D images here. They're really there. And I always, quote, believed that. I, I always agreed that what they're telling me is true. I mean, that's what my parents told me. Why not? Which is a good thing. It's a blessing to be raised by Christians. They told me, and I believe there's only one God, and that God is a holy trinity. And Jesus of Nazareth is God who became a human being who suffered and died for the sins of the world, and God bodily raised Him from the dead. I always agreed with it. Okay, I believe you. There must be 3D images. So, Mom, why didn't you tell me? Well, she did tell me. But she could not see for me. Now, I'm going to come back and tie up a few loose ends in a short sermon next week. Let me just close. What are we saying as Christians? Well, what we do as believers now, we testify. <laughs> we testify to an objective reality. Objectively, there really, there really are 3D images. They, they, they made that thing that way so that it could be seen in a particular way. We testify to what is actually objectively on the page, which is true in reality. It's really there. That there is a God, and that God spoke through the prophets and foretold of a Savior, an anointed one, a Messiah that would come. And He came through the womb of Mary, a virgin, and Jesus of Nazareth was God Himself who became a human being in her and died on a Roman cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for sins. And then 
God raised him from the dead on the third day. And he ate food and drank and taught many of his followers over the next six weeks before he ascended on high to the Father's right hand. And all who believe this, it's our message. All who see the 3D image jump off the page of this message will be saved from their sins forever with the promise of a stunningly good, unending inheritance. That's what we preach. But because of sin nature of every one of us human beings born into this world, people's eyes are not relaxed enough in order to see that until they're born again. Until they're given new eyes to see. That's how Paul says it. 1 Corinthians 1, we preach. Jews, they demand signs. and Greeks, they seek wisdom. More philosophy. But we, we preach Christ crucified. Raised from the dead. Ascended on high. High priest forever. And that's a stumbling block to Jews. And it's foolishness to the rest of the world. But to those who see, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the 3D image jumped off the page. To them. And thus they have faith. Now, what is that? Faith is the reality of things hoped for, it is the evidence of things not seen. And if that is you, you should fall on your face in amazement and gratefulness for such an indescribable gift. The gift of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you unfold to us in Holy Scripture, truth, reality, your ways. We thank you for the gift of growth, growing up through the Scripture and the Word of God that interprets to us our experience of the effect of your saving work. And it causes us to be all the more amazed. It was amazing to, to know that our sins were 
forever put away when we came to faith. Many of us down the road ask the question, why is it that I see? And you have revealed because I chose you to see. And while we were still in rebellion against you, and indeed hated you, you sent your Son, who suffered and died for us, that we would see and believe and be saved. We thank you. You are so worthy of all of our thanksgiving and worship. Amen.